I mean, that's the goal, right? I mean, 100%. Heck yeah, you spend your whole life accumulating money, and then you want to get to the point where you want to spend that money down in, in the glory years of your life. Welcome to another episode of The Wealthy American. Today, what we're going to cover is very commonly used retirement advice, which is called the 4% rule. Where that came from, what are some of the guiding principles? What's good about that? And there's some good about that. There's quite a bit of good about that. What's bad about that? And maybe some of the context that's missing. Because I will tell you, this is one of the most quoted figures I've seen out there. And unless you've actually read through the study, once you've read through the study, you realize how misquoted this is. And we want you guys to be informed and be read in on exactly what this looks like and be able to go through. Joined today, as always, by my co-host, Jim Stryker. Jim, what's up, brother? How's it going, man? Doing fantastic. Another beautiful day in Lake Coeur d'Alene. Awesome, brother. Well, cool. So we'll talk 4%. Jim, you, I know you and I have heard this a ton. How often do you hear this thrown around everywhere? Well, daily, right? On most conversations, I should say, with the work you know that we do. But I think before we just assume that everybody knows what the 4% rule is, well, why don't you break down what is the 4% rule and what are we talking about? Well, I think the place to start with that is where did this thing even come from? And so there's three researchers at Trinity College back in the day that really looked over, originally they looked over 70 years of data. So they did this study in 1995. They looked from 1926 to 1995. And they were trying to answer one question, which is based on how much I've built up in my retirement portfolio, how much can I pull out every year adjusted for inflation to make sure to, to try to not run out of money before I die? And that was the question they were trying to answer. And man, th what's crazy about this is until that in 95, there was no benchmark. There was no research uh, or, or comprehensive studies done on this that actually answered that question, which is bonkers when you think about it. 95 is when this thing came about. And so they were looking at it and they were really going, all right, cool. And 4% rule, as you might be able to guess, what they came to is, hey, and there's a lot, this is why this is going to be so uh, misquoted amongst everything. So I'm going to give you the highlight reel and then I'm going to break down the nuances for you. And Jim and I both will. And you're going to see where this thing was really good, but it's misquoted. The conclusion said, based on everything we just covered, if you pull out 4% a year adjusted for inflation, based on current life expectancy, starting at 67, by the way, then the likelihood that your portfolio goes to a terminal value, which means it goes down to zero, would be very low, right? Some of these 2 3%. And that depended on the asset allocation, all that stuff. And so that's the overarching 4% rule. Jim, how do you hear it described out there in the world? Well, I'm a, a history nerd, right? And so I think about why things are the way that they are. And this reminds me, not to get off topic here, but it reminds me of why when people cook a ham in the oven, they cut off the ends and they put the ham in the pan and in the oven. Well, back in the day, the ovens weren't big enough to take a whole ham. And so they had to cut the ends off. Well, today our ovens are quite a bit bigger, but it's because of what we've always done. We continue to keep doing what we've always doing. So we cut the, the ends off without thinking about it. And we just, that's just the way, the way that it works. But I think about this, this study in particular, you know, really as it relates to looking back in time. And, and one thing that's fascinating to me, you know, knowing what we know now, Will, 
about this is is um, thinking about in the 60s when people retired, what they retired with, right? And so historically, it was the pension, right? So you went to work for 30 or 40 years, you got the pension. There wasn't really a prevalent ide- ideology in America to save money, really. You went to work for 40 years, your company took care of you, you retired. So it's just the irony of this study coming out at a time when um, you know Americans weren't trained to save money and plan for their own retirement and become their own investor. So it's no wonder that a study like this can come out and say, hey, what you do save, you can take out for because it's such a small percentage of what people you know, really, really needed. It really wasn't until the 80s and the qualified plans came out that Americans really got away from pensions, right? And had to really think about this stuff. But yeah, there's all kinds of, I know we're going to get into this, but all kinds of uh, things that this particular study um, was so flawed and wasn't challenged. And I think they didn't have a reason to. And I would make an argument there. I I don't think it was a flawed study. I think it's misquoted and that's the flaw. Because when you read through the data, what they actually lay out, and this is what I want to cover, right? They said in there, because there's a lot of people that now pick it apart and they give it a lot of criticism that I think is undue because most of it was addressed in the study. Just the people that are quoting it aren't going into it. One of the things that the study says, and I'll paraphrase here, but it, it doesn't account for short-term volatility in the stock market rate of returns, which basically means so the percentage of the portfolio, whatever you have in retirement, and they broke down different um, kind of asset allocations containing straight equities or stock market. Man, that's got significant exposure in the short term. In fact, they said, hey, there was such a bounce back after World War II, we're kind of going to have to throw out 50 years, or excuse me, 20 years of this. And so they did two major tables that had 70 years. And they said, you know, to be fair, that period after World War II was such a bounce back. And it after the great, like, really, it, this is probably not fair. So they did another table that showed the last 50 years. So going from, uh, what, 46 to 96. And so, and that had a little bit different place. And so they're, they're addressing this, right? They're saying, hey, these are, these are the averages over 50 years. The other thing that they said that inside of here is like taxes as well as fees in the portfolio are not accounted for. So if taxes go up, your withdrawal rate is going to have to go up to give you the same spending power in, in, you know, assuming you're getting ordinary income tax on that. And also the projections in the portfolio that we're presenting here have to, are net of fees. So like all the, the normal criticism that gets thrown around, like everybody defends this thing and everybody criticizes this thing. I don't know how they would have read it and still had the same criticisms and arguments that they do. Because when you look at it, a lot of it, they're like, well, fees aren't accounted for. And what if taxes go up? And it's like, yeah, they address that. That's not what this study is trying to do. They're trying to get a starting point. Because to your point, 1978, the law was passed that enacted 401ks, right? Or IRS tax law. And then that started getting picked up in steam in the 80s. So by the time 96 comes around, these things have been around 15, 16 years, depending on when you look at mass adoption throughout US companies. They were just trying to get a starting point here, which is what all of academia is based on. And so the other thing that they addressed inside of there is they said, hey, inflation is a real risk here. And you have to adjust where you want to live off today for inflation when you start withdrawing. And that's based on what's called the consumer price index, CPI, and then there's two of those. But it, 
if you look at the averages, at least back then, it's 2.33%. And so if that goes up, well, you're going to have to take more money out. And they address this, right? By saying all of this stuff. They also like, so when you look at it, that 4% rule, it doesn't actually tell you what it's going to produce. And so I think that's really important to understand here. And I think for everybody listening, probably one of the most important things, at least I'm going to say today, Jim might say it's something smarter here, which is if you're looking at how much income you need, we're talking about cash flow every single month. It's important to define that number before you get into retirement. And you might be going, how do I do that? Well, what are you living yeah. off of today? What are the expenses that yeah. you're going to have in retirement? What's the lifestyle you want to live? And the thing that Jim and I talk about all the time, there's a question uh, you know we ask people and we've been asked, which is, hey, when you spend the most money? And without a doubt, Saturday, man, that is the day of the week that I spend the most money. Take my daughter out. My wife and I go out like we have a great time. And in retirement, if you're not working, every day is what? Saturday. Saturday. So yeah. <laughs> when you look at it, I mean, that's the goal, right? I mean, 100%. Heck yeah. You spend your whole life accumulating money. And then you want to get to the point where you want to spend that money down in, in the glory years of your life. So yeah, that's what we're talking about. So you have to define that stuff before you have, hey, here's how much I need in the bank. Right? Because if we just look at it and we say, you've got a million dollars in the bank. Well, great. You can pull 4% out. Is that going to be enough to cover it? Is it going to be too little? And that's where we're seeing where a lot of the studies that have been coming out recently are looking at average spending for people in retirement. And they're finding most of them are, are actually the people that have built up the most wealth, which is interesting, are actually spending the least. They're underspending in their first five to 10 years because they're worried about running out of money. And interestingly enough, the people in the lower half are actually overspending and run out of money faster and usually have to go back to work or dramatically reduce their lifestyle, but their quality of life goes down. And so it's really interesting looking at all this stuff. So the 4% rule, which is this ubiquitous seemingly law that gets thrown out there, one, it doesn't account for stock market volatility. So if you have all your money inside of, we'll just say mostly, and by the way, they did account for this a little bit. They did 100% pure equities, so stock market. They did 75 equities, 25 bonds. They did 50-50. And then they bid uh, 25 equities, 75 bonds to see where all of this landed. And then they did that over both the 70-year period as well as the 50-year period. And so that's where they came up with, with some of this stuff, but they even mentioned it in there, right? It doesn't account for inflation going higher. It doesn't account for taxes on what you're getting taxed at. And the tax rate was different in 95 when they did that than it is today, right? And the other major things, it doesn't account for stock market volatility. So these are the averages over 50 years. Well, if the stock market gets hit like it did in 2008, if you look at, I think it was, Jim, help me on the numbers. I want to, don't hold me to this, but I, there was a 10-year period. I think it was 2000 and 2010. If you had your money in the market during 2000, 2010, it was flat. Yeah, the lost decade, 2000 to 2010. Zero rate of return in the market. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is averaging. I think the market return across everything was like at 8.33 when you looked at 8 .33. it. 8.33. Yeah. Yep. The bonds were yep. pretty standard bonds. I can't remember what they were. 4.1, something along those lines. Well, if you don't get that, that 4% looks like 2%, 1.5% to make sure you don't go to terminal value, meaning that goes down to zero. And so they addressed these things inside of the study, but most people ignore them or just have not read the study. And they've just heard this passed down, passed down, and passed down. And so is it a good starting point? It's a great starting point. Do you want to make all your decisions based on that? Me personally, 
and I can't speak for anybody else, right? Again, this is not financial advice, but me personally, I don't. I want to look at that and go, equities and stock markets, great for pure kind of growth, can be. I personally don't like putting all my eggs in that basket. I like having something, you know, to what we say all the time, which is liquidity, liquidity use, return, uh, all of that stuff in place. But I also look at like, what's the safety of it, which in my opinion is, is for me, one of the most important things there. I've worked really hard throughout my life. Um, I, I don't want to lose my money. And so that 4% rule, when you start to look at how am I building my wealth, where am I building towards all of that stuff, just keep in mind the limitations there that were well addressed in the study, but most people don't talk about. Jim, what would you add on that? I would just add that when people ask me about the 4% rule, we get on this topic, it's, it's always fascinating to have the, the dialogue you know, about it. And I always respond kind of the same way, which is maybe don't know where are you at and where is it that you want to go and how comfortable are you at predicting what the study doesn't even address, which is longevity. When are you going to pass away? How long do you need your money to last? 90, 95, 100? I mean, I just saw a, a documentary uh, a couple of days ago, Will, that a baby girl being born today has a life expectancy of 141 years old. Really? I was wow. blown away. Yes. And I'm like, okay, so that takes the uh, 4% rule down, you know, whatever. But I mean, I, I think that it always goes back to understanding where you're at, where it is that you want to go, what you've accumulated, what is your de-accumulation strategy, right? Maybe it's four, maybe it's five, maybe it's two, maybe it, we, we just don't know. What is the rate of return that you need to earn, right? How much do you need to be saving? When do you need to retire and how long are you going to live, right? Are all questions that need to be um, asked of your portfolio before you can even think about really what that, that withdrawal rate really is going to be, that rule that's out there. So uh, maybe it's four, maybe we don't know, but I would say get with a, a trained professional to take a look at where you're at, where it is that you want to go and see what would be a suitable withdrawal rate for you so that you don't run the risk of running out of money and having to go back to work. Factoring in taxes likely going up. I don't know if they are. I personally think they will, but nobody knows. Stock market being volatile. Of course, always has been, always will be. We know that for a fact, right? Inflation. You can look at the chart all the way back to the, the history. There's very few years with zeros. Very few, right? But there are, but likely going to be going up. We printed a lot of money in this country. That's a fact. So those are all material things that uh, need to be uh, questions that need to be asked. And it's best to do it with somebody who's been studying this stuff and is trained with this stuff to give you some things to, uh, to some questions to answer for yourself. 100%. I think that's a pretty good place to wrap it up today. Uh, guys, hopefully this has been helpful. Hopefully this this type of kind of education and episode that we're doing today, where we can go back in the history of some of the common things that are easily thrown out there. Jim and I are researchers by heart. We are historians by heart. We go back, we love diving into the nitty gritty of it. We probably send three or four texts a day back and that's like, hey man, I just went through and back and looked at this. And we love our country. Check this out. And we love the history. Yeah, and we both love this country. Yes. Um, Something I spent 10 yeah. years special operations community fighting for. Yeah. Um, and we'll always love this country. And that's why we're so happy that you yeah. guys are here. But if this kind of stuff is helpful for you, if you like seeing this type of content, uh, if you're on YouTube, please put in the comments down below. Uh, if you liked it, if you want to see more of this stuff, we look through all of those. It helps to inform a little bit of what we're bringing up along with some of our conversations in person with you know other financial professionals as well as 
clients, all that stuff. But thank you guys for joining us here today. Uh, we are on a mission to make sure more Americans have more wealth to make a stronger America. Love you guys. See you next time.